battling the relentlessly negative doom and gloom news media. It's the Nick Stenger Show. Coming to you live from the Stenger Family Office Headquarters, it's your host, Nick Stenger. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Nick Stenger Show. My name is Nick Stenger. We are the Stenger Family Office for the past 42 long years, going on 43 next year. It's been our mission to deliver both clarity and confidence to help secure your financial future. Well, here we are again, another episode. We are counting down the weeks till the end of the year, quickly approaching Christmas. Hope you've got some good plans and uh, are going to enjoy the holidays. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We just got done with Investor Day over here at Stenger Family Office. Wrapping up that, there's some changes that we've already made. The bulk of the changes in the portfolios have gone through, and those trades did hit. I believe it was Monday, November 13th. I misspoke last episode and said the 3rd. It was the 13th. And uh, there may be a couple small other items coming uh, uh, down the pipeline here. If you're in one of our Resilient America stock portfolios, strategic value, high dividend yield, one of those portfolios, we're going to do some small tax loss harvesting here at year end. We've got a couple positions that we'll take some losses on and then help you out on the tax side of things. We try our best, especially with the taxable accounts, not to give you big capital gains distributions every year. So that is what we are going to do. You may see a couple more notices from Schwab on that. But I I think really, and we're going to get into the topic of this week's article, which is called recession or no recession. Um, I I really believe that we are going to continue to see strong upward momentum on the S&P 500. One of the reasons I believe that is because a lot of the doom and gloom, a lot of the negativity, and the reason why stocks were down last year was not because things were going to completely fall apart in the economy. And I said that if you've been listening to the show now, 136 episodes, if you've been, if you go back and uh, look what we wrote, look what I was talking about on the show, uh, you would remember that I said the the Fed was driving most of the downward pressure. And that was a good thing because it meant that the economy, the fundamentals underneath the surface were not falling apart. That's a more structural issue. If you if we start seeing deterioration deterioration in economic fundamentals, in consumer balance sheet, corporate balance sheets, all the rest of it, that is a cause for some caution, but we're just not there. And we haven't been there all of this year. That's why stocks were down last year in anticipation of more rate hikes. This year, here we are today, and uh, uh, rates are basically done going up. I, I would be shocked. I would be very surprised if the Fed decided to raise rates again. And if they do that, they're completely bonkers. They're out of their minds. So so I, I really think what's priced in, and this may be a little bit too aggressive, is rate cuts next year. The Fed doesn't cut rates uh, the same way they raise rates. They raise rates very slowly, like like stairs, walking upstairs slowly, and then they cut rates like an elevator. They go down very quickly. Why? Because rate cuts are a signal of trouble in the economy. And by the time the Fed cuts, it's going to be way too late to do anything about it. It'll all be in reverse. Um, Remember, recessions are called years after they happen. Uh, It's uh, not quite clear 
that you're in a recession until later. And a lot of the recession indicators are lagging indicators, which means by the time the data is out, it's already too late. By the time that the recession news, the big R word hits the uh, uh, the newspapers, the Wall Street Journal or Bloomberg or whatever it is that you read, by the time it's out, it's too late to react. The market's already on its way back up because the market is that discounting mechanism. And I continue to say that each and every week because you have to know that if you're going to be an equity investor. The fact of the matter is, is that stocks discount the future. What does that mean? All it means is that stocks will go down ahead of time in anticipation of bad news and they go up in anticipation of good news. And, and that's why, again, last year, the stock market was down roughly 20%. Why? Because everybody thought there was going to be doom and gloom in 2023. It just hasn't happened. Now, are we going to have doom and gloom at some point? Of course, at some point in time, we will have a pullback. But I think one of the problems, and we'll get into this as I compare and contrast the reasons why we could have a recession versus why I actually think, not to give it away, but I think we're not going to have a recession. Uh, uh, so we'll get into that in a second. But before we do, just to say the uh, uh, to the to the effect that I really think last year um, we actually had a stealth recession, and this is not just Nick Stenger saying this and and coming up with you know some made up data here. That's not at all true. Uh, actually, there's a lot of people that agree with that. They've actually called the time we're living in right now a rolling recession. I think uh, I actually kind of disagree. I wouldn't call it rolling. I don't think we're going to continue to see some ups and downs. But I think last year, if you go back to the textbook definition of recession, which is two consecutive quarters of GDP, and you look at what the uh, economic forecasters did, they said last year, uh, we didn't have a recession. They technically changed the definition of a recession, uh, call it political motives. Maybe you know they wanted to make the president look better. There's lots of you know different thoughts about that. I'm not saying that, so don't hear me wrong. I'm just telling you that we did see two declining quarters consecutive of GDP. Nobody said anything about it. So this recession that people are looking for in the future, and they're saying we haven't had recession yet. We're waiting for a recession. You know, it hasn't happened in 2023. We must be due. We must be due for a recession in 2024 next year. I just don't necessarily agree with that because I think we already had that recession happen. And recessions don't happen every two years. They happen every, about every eight to 10 years. They're, they're in cycles. And so uh, remember, 08 and 09 was a recession. In the early 2000s, we had a recession. Uh, going back to the 80s and, and, and uh, the 70s and the 60s, about every decade you have a recession. You don't typically have them each and every year or even every other year. So my point with all of this is just to say that People, I believe, are looking into the future for something that just may not happen and already have happened in 2022. So that's why I'm still bullish. But let's talk a, a little bit about why people are bearish for next year. I just saw JP Morgan's stock market forecast for next year for the S&P would put stocks at 4,200 points. Remember, the market's about 4,600 as we're recording the show this week. Um, and so that would represent about an eight, nine percent decrease from levels we're at today. That's not even the end of the world. I mean, I, you know, we we have eight to 10, 12 percent intra-year corrections all the time. In fact, we have at least a 15 percent decline every single year, with the average being about 13 percent 
And so I really believe what we're going to see is we're going to see stocks continue to rally. There's this thing that mutual fund managers do at the end of the year called window dressing, where they haven't made a a whole lot of money for their clients. They've been too bearish. They've been way too overloaded on value stocks. And then in December, to kind of cover that up, to dress the windows, so to speak, they will go out and chase return. They'll go out and buy all the stocks that are already up for the year. They'll say, hey, look, the last you know, 12, 12 uh, 15 trading days of the year, we bought NVIDIA stock, even though they were out of it and said NVIDIA was you know not a company you'd want to own the whole year. So that's called window dressing. That can also boost stock prices. And so unless there's something radically unknown that happens, and there can be things that happen. There's, of course, geopolitical things, and you know, maybe you get a really hot CPI inflation report, although that certainly doesn't look to be the case. We actually had a pretty much in-line uh, report today. And then the UK reported far lower inflation than they thought they were going to get. So that was a good sign. All this to say, uh, uh, I, I, I think you could continue to see upward momentum on stock prices to the point where they go from being a, a little bit undervalued or fair value today uh, to being slightly overvalued. And that's not a reason to sell. Stocks can stay overvalued for a couple of years. And that's not that you shouldn't be trading around undervalued or overvalued. You should just be buying good companies for the long run. But you could see stocks rally past 5,000 points in the early part of next year. At some point next year, we'll have a correction, a normal market pullback of, let's call it 10, 15, 20%, somewhere in that range. Nobody's got a crystal ball. Nobody knows for sure, but that's the average, 10, 15, 20%, somewhere in that zone. So you'll be correcting 15% off of 52, 5,300 points on the S&P. So if you see where I'm kind of going with this is the media doom and gloom, the narrative is going to be, look, we told you so, stocks are down, stocks are are risky, and and, uh, you should have been in bonds, and, and look how risky stocks are. But just like every correction that ever has happened in history, it's always a buying opportunity. It's always temporary. And the market always goes back on to make new highs. So I am forewarning you, and I'm doing this in my year-end meetings with clients. We're going to be connecting with some of you in January, February, March for our first quarter reviews. And uh, uh, just be aware of this. Be forewarned that at some point next year, after the S and P's has the, has had has had this massive rally, and companies have done better than expected, and and uh, and you made you're almost back to break even to where you were at the peak levels of 2021. There will be doom and gloom negativity in the streets that says sell, panic. You're you know stocks are down. They're back down to the 44, 4500 point level. But the reality is, is that if you bought stocks today or you bought them when I told you to buy them, which was a couple of weeks ago when they were 42 or 4,300 points, you'd be up over the long run. So you just got to buy and hold. You cannot be trying to time the market. And I am concerned because there's an increasing number of people now telling me, oh, Nick, I've got cash on the sidelines. I'm going to wait to get it in. I'm enjoying my five, five and a half percent risk free on a money market. Well, hey, that's great. But if inflation's four percent and that looks to be the the case, you're even three and a half percent. Your real return on money market and cash will be one and a half percent. The real return on stocks, there's no guarantees with the stock market, so so don't hear me wrong, but the 
average over time, the real return has been about 5%. So on a gross basis, on a nominal basis, before inflation, stocks should produce 8 to 10% annualized returns. After inflation, that 35 to 4% comes out, you're netting, your real return is about 3 to 5%. I'm sorry, I misspoke, 4 to 5%. And because of that, you can continue to beat inflation over time. So you cannot just accept these 1.5% real returns. You will not be able to uh, uh, keep your plan above water. And those real returns are, or, or, I'm sorry, those money market returns are deceptive in a way because what they do is they don't last. Yes, we know cash right now pays about five, five and a half percent. But if you think back a couple of years ago to 2020, 2021, cash paid a half percent. So will we go back to those record all-time lows like we had during COVID when money was free and mortgages were two and a half percent? Maybe not, maybe not quite that low, but money market rates will drop. So you'll eventually go from 5% down to 4%, down to 3%, and the spreads will always be the same. Remember, bonds are just math. And so if a money market is effectively paying 3.5% a couple of years from now, and inflation is still about 2%, you're still getting 1.5% net. That is not enough to beat the cost of inflation. So anyways, that's all to say uh, watch out for these doom and gloom proje predictions, projections, all the reasons to be bearish, all the reasons to be nervous. And there are going to pe be people that have pretty compelling arguments. There's going to be people that say, look, small caps and mid caps, their balance sheets are upside down. They had the two and a half, three percent revolving credit lines during COVID. Now the lines are 10 to 12 percent. And this is real. I'm seeing this with our small business clients. There is a difference, and I'm not saying every part of the economy next year is going to be perfect. I'm not saying there's not going to be any issues. I'm not saying that every single company is going to perform. I still believe small and mid caps next year will struggle. That's why we've positioned towards large caps. And so again, one of the narratives could easily be something to the effect that look how bad it is for small caps and look how bad it is for mid caps and even small you know, private companies. And they're going to have to uh, go out of business and lay people off. And then those layoffs are going to trigger all these issues with the economy. And so, yes, I understand all of that. But just remember, when I start talking, and there's a difference between large and the best companies and then the small and the mid-cap companies, I'm not saying small and mids are all bad, but certainly the largest companies are managed much better. I mean, that's why they're at the top, quite frankly. The S&P is a cap-weighted index, which means the biggest companies get bigger. They go to the top. It's a meritocracy. Um, when I talk to Fortune 500 executives and some of our, our clients who work at these companies, they tell me, Nick, we still cannot fill a lot of work, a, a lot of spots at our companies. We're still looking for people. We still need to hire. We, we've had uh, record low unemployment for the past three years, and we've been understaffed, and we're looking to actually expand. And part of the reason for that is because the large cap companies and the large cap CEOs have been doomsday prepping. So some of us have neighbors that do this, you know, on a, on a personal level, you know, they, they, uh, you know, they've got a bunker in their backyard and they filled it with canned food and meals ready to eat and, and, uh, you know, soup and guns and gold and butter or whatever, you know, and there's nothing, I, I get that. I sympathize with people that are doing that. So I'm not, I don't want to uh, make light of that. I sympathize with them, but it's usually doomsday prepping for something that's really never going to happen. 
Companies are the same way. You do not, if you're a public company CEO, you do not want to be the one lone wolf on an island and and uh, have have been aggressive or, or or optimistic when everybody else is pessimistic. It's way better to be with the herd. There's some perceived per, uh, uh, perceived protection by being one of the group. And so if things get bad and things go down, then at least you can say, well, we kind of prepped for a rainy day. We've been preparing for this and we didn't get wiped out. That is good. You do want to prepare for a rainy day. But I think a lot of CEOs have actually gone a little bit too conservative. And now they're being forced to pivot. They have to go back to growth mode. If they don't go back to growth mode, their stock will get hurt next year. So they know this is coming. They know earnings are coming out. The uh, last quarter earnings, I believe, are going to be very exceptionally strong. Maybe not the best record face, melt your face off, face ripper earnings that you've ever seen, but I think they're going to be pretty darn good. Those earnings are going to start coming out January, February, maybe a couple of them in March, but all the big companies will be you know, somewhere in January or February. That could continue to push markets higher and higher in the short term. So there is this going to be this narrative. I I don't know when the correction will happen. If I had to guess, if you had to say, Nick, you know, right off the top of your head, when do you think we have a correction? I'd say probably in the spring sometime. That's usually when it happens. We see a little bit of upward momentum in the beginning of the year. Stocks go up. Fourth quarter earnings came out in January, February, like I just said. And then people say, hey, things are pretty good. And then some people start taking profits in the spring because they'll say, hey, stocks are up 10% for the year. I might as well lock in some of that return. That's not a bad idea. We definitely start doing some rebalancing sometime in the spring, not because we're trying to time the markets, but in a lot of cases, because we bought a company in, in you know 2023 this year in, in November in our rebalance, and it went up more than we expected. Maybe it went up 20, 25, 30%. And that happens pretty regularly with a, a handful of names. And uh, maybe it goes from a 2% weight in the portfolio of a particular company to maybe 6 or 7%. And we'll say, hey, now it's time to take some, some profit here and rebalance. Not that we hate the stock or don't want to own it anymore, but we just want to take some profit. So that's what causes some corrections in the spring every year. You see it in October. And I think actually a lot of the uh, price down, downward price pressure last month wasn't even fundamental driven. It wasn't like there was this looming big uh, uh, problem out there in the economy. It was more so, I think, that people were taking uh, losses for the end of the year. They were rebalancing. That's why we tend to do our rebalance closer to November because we think a lot of that pricing pressure is done and a lot of that downward momentum is already work through the system. Sometimes we time it really well. Sometimes we don't. Last year, it wasn't the best. It, it was uh, actually pretty good timing with the stock portfolio, uh, decent timing with the ETF portfolio. This year, it's it's pretty good with the stock portfolio, really good with the ETF portfolios. So you don't always get the timing perfectly, but you just stay on a systematic goals-based process so that when those corrections happen, when those short-term declines come up, you're prepared and you can either add a little bit more to some of the companies you've been watching that you wanted, wanted to buy. Uh, you get it at a better price sometimes or take some profit from something that's doing very well. And and uh, if you do that over the long run, you will manage your risk uh, very, very well. It's not going to guard you. Rebalancing doesn't protect you from downside, but uh, it does just take some of your chips off the table. So one of the other reasons I think will come up pretty quickly. It's We're already in the midst of this, but a lot of the geopolitical issues that are going on right now, those are going to be causes for continued concern. And we feel obviously awful for all the people involved in any of these conflicts on a humanitarian level. The stuff is 
tragic. It's horrible to see uh, uh, any 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 life, loss of life. OK. And so um, we have to try, though, and separate emotion from financial reality. And most of these geopolitical conflicts just do not trickle into the broader economy. And I hate to even say this, but this is true. Sometimes conflict actually boosts markets long term. I'm talking six to 12 months because it's a stimulus for the economy. And again, I'm not saying this is good. I'm not advocating for this. But there's a lot of politicians who know this on both sides of the aisle. And if you follow that, uh, the unusual Wales account on Twitter, which tracks all the different uh, holdings of the Congress people, we talked about this on Bullish. Bullish will be released this week, too. Um, uh, Republicans and Democrats benefited from buying Lockheed Martin, and Northrop Grumman and Raytheon and General Dynamics and all these defense contractors literally right before the Israel Hamas conflict and right before the uh, Russia uh, Ukraine conflict. And they've made a ton of money buying those defense contractors. We added to some of it, too. So I think there is actually a financial incentive for war to happen. And, and that's an unfortunate reality of the world we live in. But don't let that be a reason you panic. Don't let that be a reason you sell next year. In fact, it could boost markets. Um, the other thing that I would I would uh, throw out there as a potential reason why people would say a recession is coming or it's here is uh, uh, simply because of the consumer as well. They're, they're going to say the consumer's not doing very well. The consumer's going to pull back a little bit and stop spending so much. Uh, I I see personally no evidence of that. There's a little bit of a pullback on certain things. Remember, we went from a services heavy economy before COVID to a goods heavy economy because we couldn't travel. We couldn't go out. We couldn't do stuff. We had to sit at home. So while we're sitting at home, we bought Traegers and Pelotons and, and shopped on Amazon all, all day long. So we went from services to goods heavy. Now we're quickly making our way back to a services economy like we've always been. The TSA just put out a, a a chart, a great analysis that said this is the best day. It was a couple of days ago. can't remember the day exactly, but record TSA travel ever. There was a time during COVID, if you remember, when everything got shut down, everybody said, you know, this is the new normal. We're never going to go back to the old way of doing things. And we said, no, that's not necessarily true. We, we thought that we would go back. You can go back and read our research on that. That's been proven true now. We've been vindicated. The, the, the economy's back. Travel is back. And people are going back to normal. They're going out to restaurants. They're going on cruises. They're going, on, uh, they're going to casinos or whatever it is that people like to do. And uh, the reality is, is I just do not see a pullback quite yet. There's a phenomenon that happened in the 70s amidst record high inflation and, and worse inflation than we're living in today. And uh, people were actually spending their way out of the inflation. They were spending more than ever, maybe to make themselves feel better about the inflation. I don't know what it was exactly, but consumers do pivot to credit card. Credit cards are still not at their average levels of, of where they would be in a normal a normal cycle because people got all that COVID cash. They paid down their credit card balances. The credit card balances now are rising. Personal loans are rising. People are you know having to go back to normal. But remember, just like I said, the biggest companies in the S&P 500, it's a meritocracy. They go to the top. Same thing exists in the economy. So just because we have a bunch of millennials that have to start paying their student loans back now, doesn't mean that the the whole economy is going to slow down because remember yeah you know, think think about an average millennial even if they make $100,000 a year which would be a good salary 
um, let's just say they make a hundred thousand. Well, after tax, it's maybe about 70, 75,000. Maybe they do a little 401k. So discretionary spend is maybe only 20, 30, maybe $40,000 after they get done paying rent and food and all that stuff. So where I'm going with this is to say that that 20, 30, 40,000 doesn't really have a massive impact on the economy the way you would think it, it or the way you think it would rather it's the the top of the top in the economy the 1% the top 10% even the top 50% especially people in the upper middle class that spend the bulk of the money it's the people making a half million a year 750,000 a year a million dollars a year and obviously there are less of those people out there but when they spend they're not spending 20 30,000. They're spending 150, 200, 250,000 a year. So one of those equals 10 millennials and so I I just do not see this doom and gloom scenario where the world falls apart. Again, I was in downtown Chicago last night for a Forbes conference, top advisor conference. It was great. Had a had met a, a just a wonderful group of people. But uh, in West Loop in downtown Chicago, which isn't, it's a popular area. It's very busy on a on a regular basis. But I wouldn't call it the most popular area. Uh, on a Tuesday, Wednesday night, and uh, it was packed. You could barely find a parking spot. You could barely uh, uh, get into a restaurant. Every single restaurant was packed. Every single parking spot's taken. The traffic's bad, even at 10 o'clock at night. And I saw this a couple weeks ago when I was down there. So I just don't see this slowdown. I'll, I'll take it even a step further. I was meeting with a client in uh, Katy, Texas, which is a, 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 a kind of like a suburb outside of Houston. And um, and uh, a, a busy area, obviously a lot of people down there, but on a on a Monday or Tuesday night, can't remember exactly what night it was, we went out to dinner at this place and it's a, a high-end restaurant and it was packed. There were people every, you couldn't even, I had to get a reservation well in advance. You could barely find a parking spot. There's literally two spots left at the restaurant parking lot. So uh, uh, I just don't see this slowdown happening anytime soon. And and that that consumer spending, um, the rising uh, uh, in, uh, interest that people are getting on their money, a lot of these wealthy people are getting 5% risk-free on their, their cash right now, is actually, I believe, serving as stimulus that's going to keep stocks going higher for the long run. So don't let that be a, another thing that scares you. Um, and then I'll, I'll talk a couple of the reasons to be bullish here. Those are some of the reasons to be bearish, but let's talk a couple of positives. Number one, I would turn that consumer spending from a negative to a positive. I actually think consumer is going to be just fine. Um, I would take it a step further with companies, especially companies at the top. Now, I have, again, analyzed balance sheets of small caps on an individual basis. We've gone through about 30 or 40 of them now. Not that we really invest in them. Actually, we, we don't invest them at a, in them at all anymore for clients um, because they're just too volatile. A lot of them don't make money. But one of the other problems is as we look at their balance sheets, they literally are underwater in a lot of cases, meaning they don't have enough cash or cash equivalents or even assets to cover a lot of their liabilities. And, and that's a real concern to me. If you have, uh, let's just say you're a small cap and you have a hundred million in cash on your balance sheet, but you owe five, six, 700 million in debt. And that debt is going to mature on a 2024, 20, 25, 26, 27 maturity schedule. And then it's going to be financed at higher interest rates. It concerns me. It, it definitely concerns me. When we flip that around and look at the large caps, they've got the exact opposite issue going on. They have so much cash sitting on their balance sheets, they don't know what to do with it. 
Berkshire Hathaway and Charlie Munger just passed, who is one of the most legendary investors of all time. And I think he uh, he taught us all a lot. So uh, uh, Charlie was just a, a legend as an investor, Warren Buffett's sidekick and all the rest of it. But Berkshire Hathaway just came out and said, we're sitting on $165 billion, with a B, $165 billion in cash. We don't know what to do with it. We, we're not finding deals we want to buy. So we're going to park it in treasuries for the short term and just clip five, five and a half percent risk-free. There's a lot of companies in the S&P doing that. And I, I went through that at Investor Day. I showed you Apple and NVIDIA and Amazon and, and Facebook and, and all these different companies that are sitting literally on mountains of cash with very low debt. And so the, the reality of being an investor is that I believe the big will continue to get bigger because they've managed differently. They have different business models that are more durable, and that's why they have the cash they have. And that's not a reason why they would go down. Stocks don't operate in the laws of gravity. What goes up must come down. Stocks that are good keep going up. Stocks that are bad go out of business. That's how it works. And so uh, I actually think companies on the top end of things are very strong um, and, and are going to continue to be just fine, even if we have a little pullback at some point. Um, the other positive here and, and what we can close out on is we are seeing decreasing inflation. Inflation is going down. Now, it's not going down to the 2% target the Fed wants, but they are looking in reverse. And I believe what's going to happen is they're going to drive us off a cliff eventually where they will, will be forced to cut rates. Now, does that mean they hit a recession? Does that mean that they are forced to cut 250 basis points, 2.5%? I don't know. Nobody knows for sure. But what I do know is whatever's going to happen in the market is going to happen six months in advance. So when you see some of these stories come out, when you start seeing stocks decline, when you see your stocks go down 5% in a day, that can happen, by the way. Or you see a company that is, it's a great company and it's down 30, 40%. Do not panic. Do not worry because it's discounting the future. Now, some companies, if they go down 40%, they never recover. So we take, a, we take a loss. That can happen. But most of the time, if we're buying stocks for the long run, and we're going to hold and we're going to rebalance and take dividends, and hopefully they do some buybacks and all the rest of it, then we've got nothing to worry about in those declines. And I do think that we are going to continue to see prices go down. We're not going to see the increases to the level that we saw during COVID. Certainly not the COVID era, certainly not to the tune of four or 5% a year like we had the past two years. Uh, I, I think you're already starting to see some data emerge with car prices. Car prices are just dropping off a little bit. Home prices are dropping off a little bit. Um, and, and so those are positives for the economy. And the Fed at some point will be forced to pivot. So stay tuned. I think there are actually good things coming for next year. So many people are bearish. So many people are nervous. There's never been more money sitting in money market funds and cash than there is right now. And so this narrative that there's exuberance in the market and people are getting complacent, that's just not the case at all. There's no data at all to support that. In fact, I would argue that companies, that people are overly bearish, they're overly nervous, and they're going to find out that things are better than they expected. So stay tuned. I think we've got a good year coming in 2024. That's not my entire forecast or market prediction. Is It's not just going to be left that things are good. I will give you a target like I always do and tell you some sectors and stocks to watch. So get on our our, uh, our weekly 
show. Um, on the 12th of December, we're going to actually do a live webinar for the show. It will be recorded and then produced and sent out as episode, I believe it'll be 130. Eight at that point. We'll have 137 next week, 138 the week after, but it's going to be a live webinar December 12th, 1130 Central. If you can make it, jump on because we're going to take questions. So put your question in the chat box there on Zoom um, and uh, ask ask whatever you want to ask. We'll take those questions live and that'll be uh, uh, kind of like our forecast for 2024. And then as long as the market holds up, which I think it will for 2023, uh, we will have the Santa Claus rally in the Santa Claus suit. I have ordered it from Amazon, so I am prepared for the Santa Claus rally and uh, and our, our year-end Christmas show like we've always done. So thank you for being with us. Episode 136. We'll see you next week for episode 137. <laughs>